Hey, hey, welcome to the Hal Anderson Podcast. Coming up, Sandy Schindelman from Shindico. We're going to talk about retail development in Polo Park. Also, Ryan Wells. He is a polyamorous man. We're going to find out about that. And also on the way, Mark Beckoff. He has a book out called Canine Confidential, Why Dogs Do What They Do. We'll talk with Mark about this man who went in the water after his dog and lost his life. Please rate the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. And now, enjoy the podcast. Sandy Schindelman is here from Shindico. Sandy, great to see you again. Hell, nice to be here. You're looking great. Thanks for always, uh, I always, uh, I don't ask often, but you're always very generous with your time with me, and I, I really appreciate that. Well, like many, we like you. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. I appreciate that. So I played a clip. You heard the clip. I don't want to get into the whole, you know, old state and the new stadium. And, you know, I'm just curious to know what's going on here at Polo Park, because things have not gone the way everybody hoped, correct? Oh, Absolutely. Uh, probably the people that have been affected the most directly are the owners of the property who are paying the taxes and would like to do more on the site than's currently there. Uh, work hard. All the things that were talked about in the past where they wanted to see mixed use and residential and uh, et cetera, uh, we don't have the zoning that would permit that. Uh, so we have issues to work with. Uh, the city uh, was supposed to, we thought, champion those things. But right now, uh, you know, they're busy elsewhere. So the problem is at City Hall. We, we would see a lot more activity in Polo Park if there weren't uh, uh, roadblocks at the well, City well, Hall level. Uh, uh, market conditions obviously impact it. But, sure. as, but the market conditions come into play. If it takes you years to get something approved, people kind of tire or the flavor of the day uh, goes away. What we had heard when they sold and put the property up uh, for a tender call is that they were going to be spending all that money on uh, road repairs and road access. Improvements and it was going, in the all, area. Lots yeah. of improvements. Mm. Um, that didn't happen on the city's nickel. They're doing some things now a number of years later. We're hopeful to have zoning that would see mixed use there. That's going to create the greatest amount of taxes and the greatest amount of jobs. So interesting office above, uh, some parking below, parking on grade inside, and we would like to see a residential to build a daytime population and to have an integrated mixed-use project. We have a couple of those in the pipeline, and this one is uh, the one that would have the most uh, exposure, let's say. Mm. So the owner of the property wants that. Right. You have developers that want that. Right. But the delay is, are you talking permitting here? Well, we haven't got to the permitting stage. You just need, a, you know, the approval process to put uh, apartments has not been there. Mm. And apartments is the one thing that you get to build uh, without a lease. So then you find out if you're going to be profitable or not. Mm-hmm. So the ownership group, of which we are one, has been interested in mixed use on the site. And it's always been our intention to continue with that. Uh, right now, we're, we have been rehabbing the um, former target box. Right. Uh, it needed a, an awful lot of work. It, it was uh, built without a full occupancy permit, as a matter of fact. Hmm. And so structurally, a lot of things needed to be done. Uh, those are done and being done now. So mm-hmm. we've got uh, mixed use. We've got a great... 
uh, Manitoba company in there in 24-7 that is uh, there for a specific customer uh, with a customer contact center inbound. Uh, that will create a daytime population. Uh, we're looking at bringing some first-to-market uh, restaurants uh, here that aren't uh, actually operating in Canada yet. And we're very close to having a lease signed with one of those. And that'll be exciting point of sale, uh, you know, investment made in the building, investment made in the facade, et cetera. Uh, we're also talking to a few uh, tenants, but we can't start with the smallest tenants. We need to figure out our anchor locations. Right. And we're talking to one now that we think would be appealing and exciting. And, uh, and forge on, as we do in all projects. Mm-hmm. Back to your comment about market conditions, because things from the beginning of what what can we do with Polo Park to now, wow, a lot has changed, eh? A lot has changed. Certainly the uh, omni-channel and uh, and internet uh, purchases have impacted. And even if they don't impact uh, directly on the clients you have, people are afraid of it. Some people are afraid of uh, bricks and mortar, but now they're coming back to it. Mm-hmm. But they come back slowly, right. and they choose the markets they're going to come back to. And so unfortunately, it's uh, difficult for us to get uh, Winnipeg onto a number one uh, status. Yeah, right. Winnipeg wouldn't be their first choice to get back into brick and mortar. Well, when they have a you know budget of 8 or 10 or 20 stores and their territory is uh, North America... You know, we asked somebody, uh, you know, try to move us up a bit, and we are. And they said, well, you know, we're going to do two stores uh, next quarter. And we were thinking suburban Chicago and St. Louis. And, uh, you know, that doesn't deter us from pressing and hoping and showing the market and working together. And we think eventually we will get these uh, folks. Obviously, we'd like to get them sooner. Uh, the province would like to see them uh, sooner. Uh, and we're hoping that the province gets a little more involved in what might need to happen to get the approvals and the entitlements we have to be able to build a little more density. You think the province needs to give the city a push? Uh, that would probably be helpful since they're going to be, they're on the hook for all the taxes that aren't generated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the to city, the tune of over $100 million right, we heard this morning. Right, and the morning. city's motivation isn't the same. Uh, the city benefits uh, if uh, a building gets built somewhere else where they get all the taxes. Interesting, yeah. And what about existing structures, not new, but existing retail structures? You know, you and I were chatting off the air. I've certainly experienced how retail has changed. You know, unless you're a doctor or a lawyer and you need a spot where people can come and see you, Retail's not uh, going into structures like that in Winnipeg anymore, is it? Well, a lot of uh, service uh, doctors and other professionals are kind of waking up to the fact that they can get a better market share by locating into more retail-friendly environments Mm. where there is some co-tenancy, there is parking, there is an attractiveness to a location. And so a lot of reinvestment needs to be made in order to keep your product fresh and to attract these people. I know we're working with a few medical clinics right now, and they've decided that, you know, they want out with the old, and they do want to be in a retail environment. So we're, we're happy for that, uh, and that's certainly an area of focus for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, can't all be marijuana stores. Right, right, yeah. Well, and, and on that subject, are you seeing a lot of activity from those uh, potential retailers? Uh, a lot of activity, uh, but, uh, you know, the, the models haven't been proven that they're profitable and uh, where they're going to go hasn't been settled. And what the rules are going to be, I don't think has been settled by the city if there's any any further restrictions. I'm not sure if that's been settled or not. Mm-hmm. Before I let you go, we're almost out of time, but I have to ask you, Polo Park, w- what you envision Polo Park, what it could be. Are we five yeah. years out, 10 years out? How far out are we? Well, you know, every every um, month that we're out, I'm uh, taking a nice new Mercedes and pushing it off the roof of that building uh, by paying the taxes uh, that we're behind. And so... Um, I hope we're five years out or less for completion, but we would like to see mixed-use, interesting office buildings with interesting uh, facades and uh, amenities on top of retail and restaurants. We, we see more restaurants here, more uh, seating. Probably uh, Polo Park area could handle as much as 500 more uh, restaurant seats, and that's without quick casual or anything else. Uh, there's probably room for more specialty grocery here. Uh, we don't have enough of it. We're hopeful that that comes uh, to fruition. And it's, uh, you know, dealing with the situation and getting people interested in investing here because tenants have to make an investment almost as great as we do. And we're tired of them every day. I was talking to them before I came into this uh, uh, interview, and I'll be talking to one on the way out. Sandy, thank you very much. Again, I appreciate your time. Thanks, Hal. Ryan Wells is here. Ryan, thanks a lot for coming in. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So uh, polyamory, this is one of the uh, lifestyles that we're looking at at globalnews.ca, one of the types of relationships. It was actually yesterday's. uh, Today is sexless marriages. Tomorrow it's uh, arranged marriages. But it kind of took me a day to get you in here. And thanks (laughs) thanks for coming in. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Yeah, Yeah. happy to. So you are, uh, it's called polyamory, but you were polyamorous. Yes. And how long have you, and just for anybody else uh, that didn't hear my definition earlier, just explain it for us. Certainly. Uh, So polyamorous is kind of a term that is used to describe uh, people that choose to live uh, non-monogamous relationships. Um, So we might have multiple partners. We might just have two, like two primary partners. You might have a primary partner with a few uh, like secondary, tertiary partners. Uh, Everybody does it kind of differently. The the key to it is that it's all about love and communication. And uh, those are the most important things in a polyamorous relationship is that you must always be communicating and it's always about love. Uh, it's, it's about having multiple connections. It's not about one night stands. It's not about uh, being a partier and just like sleeping around and all that stuff. It's about actually feeling genuine romantic connections or sexual connections with more than just one person and uh, choosing to grow those connections rather than ignore them. And you and your wife, how many uh, at the moment? Uh, does it change? Does it fluctuate? Oh, well, it's, I mean, so uh, one of my one of my polyamorous friends uh, likes to say, whenever people ask her, like, how does this work? Uh, so you know, the way you have one relationship, well, it's like that, but you have more than one relationship. Uh, so so, they, so yeah. those relationships can end. Yes, absolutely. And, and the new ones happen. It's just like any other relationship; they grow, they grow and change organically, and and depending on what the relationship needs or right. merits. 
some of them end, some of them continue. Uh, some people will live in a in a shared household with their all their partners for years and years and years. Some people will just date for six months and it doesn't work out, just like any other relationship. It's just that we don't close ourselves off to uh, new connections. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of a lot of polyamorous people will tell will tell you that it feels like they're dying a little bit when they feel a connection to somebody and have to shut it down and have to just ignore it. Uh, and that has uh, a lot of a lot of people, I think, that are polyamorous and don't know it are the people that find themselves cheating or find themselves wanting to cheat uh, or like aching and not being over able someone to explain and not being why able they to, do yeah. that and hurt the person they're with that they love. Exactly. And... You might love your, your partner so, so, so much and you cannot understand why you're being pulled to this other person because it doesn't lessen your love for your partner. And uh, if that's the case, you might need to look into the polyamorous community and start to learn about it a little bit and uh, uh, join some message boards, join some community meetups and that kind of thing and get uh, get some education because it might be what is for you if that happens to be something that you suffer with or struggle with. Yeah. And how did it happen for you? Uh, to be honest, I, uh, I'm a traveling performer. I'm on the road all the time. And uh, when I started to get serious with my now wife, she was noticing that I was interacting with fans differently. Uh, and she was like, you're not, like, flirting with your fans. You're not, like, going out there and putting yourself out there anymore. And I was like, well, it feels wrong to do that because I'm with you. And she's like, no, no, you need to grow your, grow your uh, you know, connection with your fans and things. And uh, I felt uncomfortable with it, so I started to kind of research, like, why I was uncomfortable with it. And I kind of just uh, organically fell upon the polyamorous community and started to read about it. And as I stated earlier, joined some message boards and went mm-hmm. to some meetups. And yeah. and uh, basically, my wife and I kind of discovered together that we both have kind of always been this hmm. and just didn't know it was a thing that you could be. <laughs> right. I was raised Catholic in a small town in Indiana. So there were you, anything, yeah, this, this anything outside the norm. Well there, right? Anything outside the norm was immediately yeah. shut down, you know. Yeah. like. And to be honest, I live in Texas now, and we're not— very, we're not super publicly open with it mm-hmm. uh, in town just because people react viscerally to it sometimes. Yeah. I was going to ask you that because I said earlier I played a couple of clips of a sociology prof that I talked to about these mm-hmm. different types of relationships, this being one of them. And as I said to her, and she agreed, listen, whatever floats your boat. If everybody's happy, everybody's in love, everybody's communicating, there's no secret, nobody's getting a hurt here. Amen. Uh, what do I care? Who am I to judge? That's just my opinion. But I'm sure you do get people, once they know, if they know, looking at you kind of oh, yeah, out of the, the side time. of their eye. Eh? And, and honestly, I'm, I'm, a, uh, I'm a cis heterosexual white man, so I don't, I don't even get it half as much as my wife does or as other people, other people in the poly community do. Uh, um, it's, it, it, but it's definitely – there's definitely like – People have visceral gut reactions to it. We're like, this is wrong because we're, you know, we're fed through the media and through our culture and through a lot of religions that, you mm-hmm. know, it's one partner and that's it. And that's one partner for the rest of your life. And that's the way yeah. it's supposed to be. Right. And uh, that, you know, uh, there is an argument to be made that it kind of goes against biology, too, to have that. Uh, but that's I don't want to get into that. Yeah. That's no, I know what you're getting at. Thing. Yeah. And, yeah. I've, and I've heard those arguments yeah. before, too. Yeah. But I, I think and and, uh, and that's a fair argument, I think, mm-hmm. you know, m- m- when you're sort of defending and, and sticking up for polyamory. But I was just curious to know what kind of reaction you get. And I'm sure yeah. you've seen a lot of different stuff. eh? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's we've we've. I've lost friends. I've had people freak out on me in public, you know. Uh, so, I mean, as a result, we, a lot of there are a lot of us that try to keep it kind of quiet, just because yeah. we don't want to deal with the. Mm-hmm. And we're not even half as oppressed as 
you know, 99.9% of the other, right. like, alternative relationship-type groups and stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, it's, uh, but it's definitely a thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's not a—it's it's still certainly still really taboo in yeah. a lot of America. Well, that's why we're doing so. this series. And, you know, as we talk to different people involved in this series, experts and reporters and stuff, we're, we're starting to find out that, wow, like, these alternative relationships really have significant numbers out there. Which I don't oh, yeah. think most people are aware of. Mm-hmm. I think, especially, uh, I I think I I see a lot of other polyam people in the um, in the art community. Mm. Uh, I think it a little I, more I open to, minded. Yeah, maybe? I, say, I hate to generalize, yeah. but you yeah, know, but, but it does, but it it does happen. That I think that we we do by the nature of what we do mm-hmm. uh, look inward a lot, like very very often and all the time, and do kind of analyze ourselves and think about ourselves a lot uh, artists it's just something we tend to do by the nat- by nature of what we do mm-hmm. so it's certainly a, a much more common thing especially on the touring circuit as well because I'm on the road six seven months out of the year yeah. uh, and my wife doesn't travel with me you know mm-hmm. and uh, that's it's a long time to be apart yeah and of course you're gonna meet people that you connect with and that mm-hmm. you like have like develop feelings for and on the when you're on the road yeah. and stuff so this facilitates um, you know keeping your emotions healthy and uh, as I stated earlier, it's com- communication is key. Like if see, we like to say, secret poly is cheating. You know, mm. if you keep something a secret, that's yeah. that's cheating. You can you can be a cheater in a poly in a polyamorous relationship, right? Because you keep it secret. Yes, mm. every, communication is everything. You must you have to always talk about every. Yeah, I I can't. There is literally nothing that I keep from my wife. There is mm. I have no secrets from her at all. You're in town for the fringe, and I want to I yeah, want to yeah. give your your uh, a play a plug your, your performance coming up a plug a few few different options for people to go and check it out. But I did want to ask you this. So okay, so your wife's at home. She's not traveling with you. Let's say you meet somebody in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Do you then say to your wife, "Hey, I met somebody," and before it goes any further, does she need to meet that person, or how is that handled? So. Uh, that's one of those things that varies relationship to relationship. Yeah. Like everybody kind of has their own rules for mm-hmm. how the communication needs to play, how it needs to work, how that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we like we like to say like you know connections happen and you explore connections. Mm-hmm. So do your best to communicate communicate every single thing beforehand. Yeah. If you cannot, it's not always the end of the world. Mm-hmm. As long as there's immediate communication and immediately immediate discussion and that kind of thing, yeah. and it, there's not like there's no like veto cards or mm. anything like that. I mean, yeah. some people do have that th- that works for some because people. then it truly wouldn't be a polyamorous yeah, exactly. relationship, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, and that's kind of playing into what I said earlier about how everybody kind of manages their polyamorous relationships a little differently. Mm. Everybody has a different set of guidelines that work for them and how to communicate and how to mm-hmm. express these things. Yeah, uh, but for us, it's yeah, it's just like. Hey, uh, I've got a connection with this person. Uh, I, they're really great. This is what I like about them. This is why I like them. Uh, this is who they are, what they do, where they live, that kind of thing. And uh, it's it is important uh, to have all that information conveyed, just in case any crazy thing happens. And like, for example, if I if I'm on the road and say I got injured very badly, uh, that communication is necessary so that my partner and my wife would have a a line of connection to each other, a way to connect and talk. And make mm-hmm. sure that they can be on the same page if I'm hurt or something. Right. Uh, that's that's one example. So they may not know each other. They may not. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I've a. I um. We call them a metamor. A metamor mm-hmm. is the is the term for your partner's partner. Uh, I have uh, not met one of my metamors. Um, mm. It's just, and that's how it works sometimes. But I have a line of connection to him. Yeah. Like I can contact him if I need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's what's important. And is it ever about like I don't know what what's the dynamic for you now like how many how many uh, 
I don't know what to call them. <laughs> partners. How many partners do you have? How many partners does your wife have? Uh, it, like I said, it, it's uh, that fluctuates, and it, it like any other relationship. And right now, I'm just seeing my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just with my wife. That's yeah. you know, uh, I don't. And really... do you ever all get together, or 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 that's just come on? That's not what this that's, is about. Once again, that's that's of that varies Depends. relationship to relationship, and like right. um, that's not uh, being that my uh, it's not really something we have done. Uh-huh. Um, but I know a lot of people that do that. Mm. I, I mean, I've got friends that literally do have households yeah. where they're like, they're all the partners are living in the same house and that right. kind of thing. Huh. It's, it really just kind of depends. And it's, I think the thing that people, I think people overthink it a lot because it really is just, it's organic, true relationships and mm. you manage them the way you would anything else. And mm. you deal with things as they come up and you react organically and you react in the moment and you think about things and plot and plan. And you don't, it's, there's no like, I feel like if you put too many guidelines and too many rules or anything like that on it, then it's not really a lifestyle. It's like a, it's, or even, or even like a, an orientation. If you do that, it's Mm -hmm. like, um, it's almost like a thing that you're doing, like actively trying to do. And that's, that's different. It's just what we are, Mm -hmm. you know? So we just exist and kind of roll with it, you know? Well, Ryan, I really appreciate you coming in and and telling us about it. I mean, not everybody listening, probably a lot of people (laughs) listening are going to not necessarily think. Uh, that it's cool, but it it is cool that you would come and tell us about it. And I think the key here is learning, right? Yes. Educating and understanding. Just like in polyamory, communication and love. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I wish you all the best. And I wanted to mention, though, you were in town for the Fringe Festival. Your play is Castaway, a musical parody. Yes. And it is happening at the School of Contemporary Dancers. That's correct. The shows are tomorrow at 3.30, Friday at 5, and Sunday at noon. Again, it's Castaway, a musical parody. Brian, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I want to have a conversation about this with Mark Beckoff. He is... The author of a book called Canine Confidential, Why Dogs Do What They Do. Mark, thanks a lot for doing this. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. And, yeah, what a tragedy. But yeah. I was just listening to that cut from the woman and what you said. There is not a person I know, literally, who wouldn't have jumped in to save the dog. Absolutely. And I don't think he thought that he would be risking his life because it's a it's a pond. You can see, you know, weeds sticking up and everything, but it turned out it was much deeper than he thought and he, and he lost his life tragically trying to save his dog and the dog is okay. Smokey the dog's okay. But why do we do this stuff for our dogs, Mark? They are members of our family, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, most of the time, of course, you know, I always tell people that I know about in, you know, United States and Canada, there's a lot of abuse of dogs. But, yeah, I mean, most people who choose to share their home with a dog are also sharing their heart with a dog. And I actually know stories that are tragic as well, where it involves somebody trying to save someone else's dog. Hmm. And so... You know, I just think it's that bond that we develop, and I think it's that sense of helplessness. You know, you would do it for a child. You would do it for another human being. So I think it's that bond we form. And, yeah, boy, when I heard about the story this morning, um, when Jeff contacted me, it took my breath away. I just thought, oh, my. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know what to say. It's mm. tragic. Kudos to the man. I'm sure when yeah. he jumped in, he figured he'd jump in and get the dog, and everything would be great. Yeah. And as tragic as it is 
for his family and they've lost him. What mixed feelings they must have because Smokey the dog was okay, you know, and they're glad to have Smokey home, right? Yes. I mean, I was thinking too about that, that, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not making any equivalence between Smokey and the man. And mm-hmm. I think those sorts of, you know, kind of, you know, uh, comparisons really are meaningless. But thank goodness at least one of the two survived. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's a it's a heroic act. I don't know. I never know what to say about these things. But um, and it just God, it just went right to my heart, too. Yeah. But. You know, it's a heroic act, and you figure, I'm going to help somebody. You know, I'm going to help another being, another a dog, could mm-hmm. be a cat, yeah. and you're jumping in thinking that everything's just fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of at a loss as well, Mark, and that's kind of why I was uh, wanting to have you on and hoping that y- you could help us, uh, you know, with this. And, and you mentioned Jeff talking to you. Our Jeff Courier was hoping to have you on. You weren't available, and so you were good enough to come on my show, and I really appreciate that. Your book is called Canine Confidential, What Do- uh, Why Why Dogs Do What They Do. And we have a story in the news today, I don't know if you've seen it or not, about empathy in dogs and how how when people cry, dogs care. They come running over. They even whimper and whine. They want to they wanna be there for that person that's crying. I mean, they are truly our best friend, aren't they? In that sense, they are. Yeah, I have so many stories in my book like that. And I remember years ago when somebody close to me passed away, I came home and I'm sure my demeanor was very different. And usually my dogs would jump up and greet me and they'd say, okay, you know, you've been away all day or most of the day, let's go play. And I walked into the house and within, I mean, literally two seconds, they knew something was wrong and they wouldn't leave my side. Mm -hmm. They just, they knew that something was off. And so they read us really well and we read them. And it's got to do with that incredibly close bond that we form. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, I have Hershey. She's a, a Dash Hound, Basset Hound mix. And we did have Hershey and PETA. And about a year, a little over a year ago, we had to put PETA down. She was a Springer uh, Dalmatian, uh, Spring, uh, Springer Dalmatian cross, and she had a bunch of issues, seizures. And I'll tell you, it it, it uh, especially broke my wife's heart when, when we lost PETA. But we just become so connected to them. And, you know, we can come home after a horrible day and we know they're going to be there wagging their tail and, and, you know, wanting to spend time with us. They don't care. We've, they don't care about anything. They just care that we're there. Yeah. And they really, you know, for the most part, you know, especially, you know, dogs who form these close relationships, they're there for us unconditionally, yeah. you know, and, and also, you know, they, they just read us. They, I think it's, I write about a lot of this in my book. You know, they can sense fear. They can sense different emotions, usually through their noses. You know, I always say dogs sniff first and ask questions later because <laughs> they they live by scent. And so they know. And, and it's that giving. You know, I always say that that empathy is like a social glue. We feel for them. They feel for us. And it's those shared emotions I, I I can tell you right now, I, it's those shared emotions that led to that tragic situation yesterday. I mean, there's there's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, listen, thank you very much for your time, Mark. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And I, I'm looking forward, now that I'm aware of it, to reading your book, Canine Confidential, Why Dogs Do What They Do. Thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. Have a good day.